As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What else with Corey Mann on the Studio DNA Podcast Network? One-on-one conversations with some of your favorite artists. Find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Spreaker.com. What else with Corey Mann on the Studio DNA Podcast Network? Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that tends to process traumatic events with dad jokes. It's Sifpa. Welcome to Sif Pop Weekly, streaming live most Saturday mornings or available to download later in your podcast feed, unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks. Patrons get those perks. <laughs> Punk. I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and he's a Caucasian male, mid-30s, with really great hair, and even when he's rotting, he smells like lavender. It's Andrew Armsby, ladies and gentlemen. It's all true, except for the really great hair. <laughs> Each week, we'll chat about movies, television, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And please welcome our guest this week. She's your guide through these vast new movies. It's Allison, Alice Ginevra McKelly. Woo-hoo. Ooh, so close. G'day. <laughs> you can be Allison if you want. I mean, it's totally up to you. I could. Um, Look, when I was a kid, I wanted everyone to call me Ariel as my nickname, so okay. it could go anywhere. All right. Well, thank you for joining us uh, this morning, Ariel. Uh, although uh, where you are under the sea uh, is actually would it be nighttime? Would it be down under the sea? You know? <laughs> That's right. It's in, that is uh, <laughs> there. You go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. we are excited to have um, you here today with us to look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Uh, wouldn't you think <laughs> all these movies are complete? Uh, we are excited to get well, into them. we'll get into that. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's a fair point. We don't know if they're complete or not. Uh, so we're going to talk about Cry Macho uh, that came out this week. Had to do a little bit of shifting around. I think I had mentioned uh, Eyes of Tammy Faye. Which, Starling. Well, I mentioned Eyes of Tammy Faye last week, and then we had talked about mm. doing the Starling as well. We are kind of in that last moment right now. 
of like a little bit of movie emptiness and then it is gonna hit hard in like a week or two and stuff is dune and stuff well you've got you know Mm. venom and dune and then all the award stuff and made yeah i mean just the the vitamin yeah the next few months are going to be absolutely wonderful as far as i'm concerned like you know lots to talk about Mm. But we are kind of in that last quiet month. But uh, Eyes of Tammy Faye isn't playing locally until next week. So we weren't able to uh, talk about that one. And The Starling also releases next week on Netflix. Um, so we weren't able to talk about that one. So we swapped in uh, the first half of What If, the first half of the uh, What If season, which is an anthology show. It doesn't really matter that it's the first half. It's just the first six episodes. Um, yeah. So we'll be taking a look at that as well and uh, doing a best ever challenge of best ever Clint Eastwood as an actor movies. Um, so not the ones he's directed, but the ones that he's acted in. Uh, and then, of course, we'll have Buried Treasure and all that fun stuff as well. Um, let's go ahead. Let's move into it. Let's cry macho. <laughs> you owe me, Mike. You gave me your word. And that used to mean something. My son, Rafael, he's in trouble. I want to get him out of Mexico. You want me to go down there and kidnap him? Please, just get him back up here. Just you? Just me. Hey, Rafael, you can come out now. I'm a friend of the family. Touch me and I'll kick your asshole, man. Mike Milo, a one-time rodeo star and washed-up horse breeder, takes a job from an ex-boss to bring the man's young son Home from Mexico. Cry Macho is Clint Eastwood's latest movie. Apparently, he can turn these around in about four to six months. Um, (laughs) He's a one-take-and-done filmmaker. He is also the star in this one. Um, Trying to think of anybody else in in this movie you might know of. Maybe Dwight Yoakam? But uh, other than that, it's yeah. kind of a, yeah, he's more of a he's more of a country singer than an actor. Yeah, so. uh, and other than that, really, and you know, not to to talk about the performances or anything, but these aren't people we've really, I've really seen in many other things, um, which can be a good thing. But uh, but let's talk about it. Uh, what did you think of Clint Eastwood's latest Cry Macho, um, Alice? Let's start with you. Did you like it? Love it? Dislike it? Hate it? Or it was just okay? Okay. Well, so I. <laughs> Let me just say, I don't think it's a good film, but it doesn't inspire enough passion for me to say I hate it. Mm-hmm. So I'm just landing in. I didn't like it. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew, what about you? Like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? You're the Clint Eastwood uh, fan amongst us. It's true. I do love Clint Eastwood. And uh, man, I hated this. It's really bad. <laughs> it's, oh, thank it's, God. yeah. It's, I, it hurts to say, but this movie... I hated it. Well, it'll surprise you to know I loved this movie. Um, yeah, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I didn't. Oh. I'm, on the, I'm on the very low side of didn't like it as well. I almost I, had a no, heart attack. I, I, I am. I am with you, uh, Alice. I I don't feel passionate enough about it to say I hated it. Now, Andrew, I kind of get because being a Clint Eastwood person, like yeah. that kind of brings that passion. Like you want it to be something better, and it's just not. It's a really for me a bad movie experience and so i can see that going into passion for you into the hate it category but yeah i'm i didn't liked it probably lower side of didn't liked it um mm. i it, it's one of those movies that the rare movie for me where i have so very little good to say about it that it's almost a surprise that i don't hate it um but it just again yep. i just it was just eh, whatever you know 100 percent a piece of bread but um but yeah, I guess I get to start. 
um since uh since you know i'm i'm kind of at the highest you end of technically liked it the most <laughs> technically <laughs> i guess uh yeah well let's try to be positive here for a little bit here's what i here's what i will say first of all we say this all the time making a movie is hard making a movie <laughs> when you are 90 plus years old is even harder and, and yeah he's 92 right is that right he's 92 yeah. now uh well, siri it- told me he was 91 well, I, Siri could be wrong. Siri could be wrong. Andrew could be wrong. Everybody could be wrong. It is. It is a possibility. <laughs> what if? <laughs> you know that that one year makes such a distinction between ninety one and ninety two. Uh, however old he is, it is it is even more difficult to make a movie. Um, you know, I would imagine. I've never been in my nineties, uh, but to do that and to be behind the the camera, you're working on it. And I'm trying to get there, trying to get there. Yeah. And I just saw that. I say all that to say I have a lot of respect for anybody who can put a film on the screen. And, you know, the story is coherent. It's not like it doesn't. I, it's not like I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Alice, Alice is amused by my attempt to say nice things about this movie. <laughs> I'm uh, sorry. I, I, I under. I, we know the purpose of the story. Yeah. We, we know, know what's what going on. It, it has, has a story. It has a story. It has. There's, you know. There are characters. There's a. There's they a, say <laughs> lines. <laughs> <laughs> the pi- has a beginning and an end the pixels on my sort screen of. lit up and made colors and lights um no mm-hmm. there there is there is a comprehensible story here it has a heart to it i know what's you know and i respect i respect what eastwood is doing here you know with a a subculture that we don't see enough of in the movies you know this is very much a mexican movie in in many many ways um so, uh, so yeah, so there are those things about it where I go, okay, I get it. I understand it. I respect the process. I respect the ability. Um, and, and that's about as far as I can go with positives. Did you guys have anything you wanted to bring out in the positive camp of things? Cause I really had a hard time, uh, finding that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I guess if I'm going to like hang my hat on a moment in the movie, there's okay. a segment where Clint Eastwood and, uh, is it? Rafo, is that what the character's name is? Yeah, Rafo, yes. Rafo. Yeah, yeah. Where he and this young boy uh, kind of settle down for a little bit in this town, and while it, the purpose of that scene is negating the movement of the story, you know, like mm-hmm. sure it's, is. It's, it's actively pushing against the motivation of the characters. I found it calming and you know just enjoyable you know Mm -hmm. like it was peaceful and you know i was like i could live in this part you know this moment with these guys because it's you know nothing has to happen here eventually they're going to get back to the story but for right now i could see how a lot of people think are in this moment going please just move on with the story get on with what you're supposed to do but for me, I'm just like, this is nice. This is well, nice. you know why? Because we weren't really invested in the story they got away from. <laughs> like, it wasn't like I wasn't yeah, I no. wasn't like, please get back to that story because I wasn't really invested in that story. So, you know, hey, let's do this thing for a while. Um yep, that'll do it. And and yeah, it kind of works. Yeah, the, the movie definitely wants to be an old man, a boy, and a chicken. And like here's here's <laughs> their adventures. And I just never felt like any of that worked. Like I never felt you know compelled in any way by 
you know, the things that can compel you in a movie. The, um, the I have nothing wrong with a simple, straightforward story, right? Like that can be really good. I don't need big action set pieces and big, you know, moments necessarily to make a movie good. But if you're not going to have those things, other things better be compelling. There better be a sense of humor to it that I find compelling. There better be uh, a character relationship that I find compelling. And I think this wanted the, you know, the Clint Eastwood, mm. uh, uh, Eduardo Manette, uh, you know, relationship to be the compelling part. It just doesn't work. I don't, I don't care about them together. I never felt like, you know, the the emotional uh, uh, journey that they were on really worked. Like I never felt like they were mm -hmm. at odds the way the movie wanted me to, and I never felt like they were buddy buddy the way the movie wanted me to. So there was no progress in that emotional journey, and so. Uh, so yeah, if you're going to be simple and straightforward, you better have something that's hooking me in. And this movie just doesn't have it in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. And Absolutely. I think a big part of that is like, for example, I'm, I'm sorry, but the kid who played Raffo was, I don't know if it was just this movie, but from just watching this movie, I don't see him as a good actor. Well, it was me, a bad let me, performance. Let me, let me talk about, let me talk about this for just a second. And I, and I, you know, we, we do try to stay away from like qualifying especially you know kids but he's a little bit older but but here's the hmm. thing with clint eastwood that i would clarify this with he's done this before he's yeah he clint eastwood because he's a one taken out director he, he like hmm. he is not giving his actors a lot of chance to excel yeah. and there are a lot of directors who direct actors better than eastwood does and eastwood excels when he has polished professional actors who know how to go out there and and nail it? And this movie doesn't have those people. You know what I mean? Like this, this is not yeah. a group of polished professional actors who can nail that one or two take kind of thing. And so much of the performance relies on the director's ability to get that performance and to capture it. And so I don't hold it against this this kid that it comes off this way. But you're right; it does. You know, it it doesn't. It's not believable. It doesn't come off as believable. I'm just not sure that's his fault. Completely, at least. Oh, yeah. That's what I mean. And that's why I wanted to say, like, I don't know if it's this movie right. or if, like, if we see him in the future, he could be in another movie and then I could be like, oh, he's great, you know. But just if I'm just watching it off this movie and making a judgment, not a good performance. Um, and to be honest, all the characters, I just, and I think this really comes down as well to the screenplay, they were so one-dimensional. Even, like, Eastwood has maybe one and a half dimensions at most, but okay, this is the best way I can describe this movie if anyone ever asks me my opinion on it. When I saw the poster, I thought it was an SNL parody. I thought, you know, it was like <laughs> Bill Hader doing his Clint Eastwood character. I thought this was the most Clint Eastwood poster I've ever seen in my entire life with the dumbest name, like the dumbest title <laughs> I've also ever seen in my entire life. And then I watched the movie and it was like one of those SNL parody trailers for the most Clint Eastwoodist movie of all time but not in a good way because, yeah. you know, I, I just, um, for, for reference, yeah, I, I, I'm in Australia and so I finished watching this movie an hour ago and I watched it with my partner and he, we finished it and he just said that was the biggest ego trip movie I've ever seen <laughs> where it was just Clint Eastwood wanting to be a cowboy and like having a bit of a white saviour thing going on 
And there was just nothing. Yeah, exactly what you said, Aaron. There was nothing compelling. I didn't care. Very early on, I realized what kind of movie this was going to be when the very opening scene has the most exposition before I... It's the biggest exposition drop ever. It's like the guys just walked in and... All of a sudden, it's like, oh, all your history, where we are now, and your <laughs> fired exposition drop. And I was like, I'm still sipping my drink for the first time. Yeah. And and that was pretty much the movie. The amount of exposition, I think the kid says macho like 50 times every time he talks mm-hmm. about the rooster. And it's just, it's just lazy writing. I think it just all comes down to lazy writing. And then, yes, I think as well, this is maybe something that required – if it had good performances, like if the performances really brought, or not the performances, but if the directing brought out what it needed to in the performances, we might have had something. But without it, it was just a, an SNL parody. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that's where it is. Yeah, I that's think, I I think it's absolutely it 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 lives in self parody in a, in in a lot of ways, and and that is unfortunate. I uh, yeah, there is something about Eastwood's later day movies that do all have that theme that seems to be about yeah, I'm ninety, but I'm still super attractive to women, and I still can oh ride a God. horse, and I can still can. Oh. And listen, listen, I I don't begrudge somebody as they age, you know, mm-hmm. uh, wanting to be in romantic relationships or anything like that. It's just in this case, when you are the person putting it on screen, when you are the director, you're you're. You're mm-hmm. kind of pumping up your own ego uh, in in certain ways. And it, this is not an ageist thing saying, oh, you know, uh, a 40-year-old woman would never be attracted to a 90-year-old man or anything like that. It's just saying you're the director and it's obvious you have something to say about your persona that you want, you know, in here. Um so, well, that's yeah. the thing. If the, if the relationship, because there's one, obviously, one romantic relationship that kind of takes the lead of this whole movie, if it had developed in a way that was believable, you know, 50-year-old people can fall in love with 90-year-old people, you know, 30-year-olds can fall in love with 60-year-olds. It happens. That's fine. But, I mean, every woman in this movie wanted to take her pants off for Clint Eastwood the moment <laughs> he was in the it room. Was, it was the same when the and mule. I'm, <laughs> Oh, the mule oh, was, was way it? worse. Yeah, it was okay. way worse. <laughs> yeah, he had two threesomes I- in that movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. gosh. Okay, because I was watching that and I was just like, "Come on, the woman can't even talk to the man, and she wants to marry him." And then there was the the mum at the beginning, who's like one of the most attractive women I've ever seen in my entire life, and she's immediately wanting to bed him as some weird power thing. And I'm just like. This is just ridiculous. The man would break a hip. Like, it's just. Uh, and speaking of which, I think there was well, a I moment I literally. Like a, I think he has like a 10 year old kid or something like that. So. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Good. Well, honestly, good for him. And that's the thing. If the relationship had been like, if it had been developed in a way that I was like, oh, they've, you know, fallen in love in a way that people might fall in love. But it was just, it kind of just felt like he was like, and then there should be a romance in it. And I should get to kiss the girl. And I'm just like, (laughs) well, you're also, but you're also dealing with, you're dealing with an actor who for his Mm. entire career, that's who he's been. He has been the sex mm. object. He has been the the poster, you know, like in and for good reason. He's a super attractive man. Like, you know, there's there's a reason that that he has that in his ego and maybe I maybe we're wrong for telling him to drop that. I don't know. It just it it what it does is it dials down a little bit of the authenticity for an audience who is not used to 
um, you know, that kind of thing, especially when you're the one putting it on screen, right? Like, yeah. this, is a te- this is a terrible example, but I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking of the, uh, the, the Jeopardy uh, thing that happened recently, right? Where the executive producer basically made himself the host of Jeopardy after Alex Trebek died, right? Ah, uh, yeah. And yeah. even before all the stuff came out about what he had said on podcasts or any of that kind of stuff, everybody's going, hmm, this is interesting. You're going to put yourself, you know, like <laughs> mm. you had this whole charade of, you know, inviting all these people to guest host and the whole time you knew you wanted to do it and you were going to make yourself the host. Like you knew, like you're a producer on the show. I feel that way with, with Eastwood sometimes where it's like, you're the director, like, you know, find a way to, you know, direct others to, you know, be those parts in the movie instead of feeling like you have to direct yourself to be the gravitational center of, uh, of what's going on. That's not an age thing. That is a power thing. Um, So, so yeah, that's kind of where I end up on it. I'm going to yeah. throw a lot of uh, comparisons between this movie and Gran Torino. Okay. Where <laughs> I, th- I think that, you know, they're, they're similar in some ways and even made uh, specifically in the same way where uh, Clint Eastwood puts himself opposite people who aren't actors, you know? Mm-hmm. And for me, that was one of the, uh, the downsides of Gran Torino is that, uh, the young man who played Tao in that movie and the rest of the, the people, I think they were, they weren't Laotian, but uh, he wanted to get authentically, oh, they were Hmong. That's what they were. He wanted to get authentically Hmong people to, uh, which is know, admirable, I think opposite. Yeah. Mm. But he didn't get Hmong actors. Right. He just got them. So whenever they were put on screen, it was like, Oh, these, they're not really acting like, they're they're acting like they're acting you know like it's they're pushing the dialogue and it comes across comes across very authentic i think the same thing is happening here um yeah the problem with this movie and what spoilers we're going to get into gran torino a little bit later but um (laughs) whenever i think where this movie fails and where i think gran torino uh, is elevated and is way above this one is the fact that there is a way more prevalent character story arc in in Gran Torino where you see Clint Eastwood's character go from this begrudging, disgruntled, angry old man to realizing that experiencing new things, new things, and forgiving yourself for your past mistakes. That all feels more genuine than what you're getting here in Cry Baby. Yes. Or Cry, Cry Macho. Yeah. <laughs> Where uh, I, I felt like it, it felt like a Cry Baby for some of the for some of the dialogue. But um, mm-hmm. because also in Green Torino, yeah, he is he's a hard ass, but at the same time, he's not doing things that are like beating up people that are like in their 30s, you know, and having people like, oh, you're pretty fast for an old man. And you're like, yeah, even no matter how many quick cuts you took in that moment, <laughs> nothing is going to make me believe that Clint Eastwood is being fast in that moment and you're yeah. and taking you off guard or that his punches have anything behind them. Yeah. Yep. I know Clint Eastwood's awesome. And I know that he is, you know, uh, 
the man's man whenever it comes to, you know, those type of like either Westerns or, you know, police movies. Like he is like the epitome, like young Clint Eastwood is the epitome. Um, he even has a, there's even a line in this movie where he's talking about being macho and grit mm. and stuff like that. And like, it's like you, I don't know if he realizes the analogy between what he's saying about the grit and being macho and still trying to be that guy when you're 92 in a movie. I'm like, is this going over your head right now, Clint? Cause I don't think you realize what you're saying is kind wonder, of uh, uh, detrimental I, yeah. to what you're doing. I wonder if, I wonder if there is a director that could direct him. I wonder if we're missing out on some really great Clint Eastwood performances because he's directing himself. Like, I wonder if there was a director who could take material that could that used a character that was, you know, an, uh, an older, rough, tough guy or whatever, and do something interesting with it, do something emotional with it, have a real character arc for the journey. But because Clint's not behind the camera in that case, it doesn't have to have the ego boosting to it, right? Like, it can really let him embrace his age and make that part of the journey. And, you know, it's, it's not like there haven't been 90 year old uh, performances that have, I, I loved seeing Dick Van Dyke in the new, um, you know, Mary mm. Poppins, right? Like that was, I was like, how cool is it that Dick Van Dyke so is still doing this that. stuff? And how impressive is that? But it never felt ego mm. boosting in any kind of way because he wasn't the one, you know, making the movie, directing the movie. He was an actor. And I just wonder if yeah. because Eastwood, has become such a director that we've missed out on maybe some late era great Eastwood performances from a different director. I wonder if that yeah. is is just unfortunately something that you know we're not going to see. Uh, yeah, and I'm honestly, I feel. Good. Oh no, I was just going to say. Honestly, I feel like his last few films could have maybe that he was in could have done with a different director. You know that mm -hmm. maybe they might have been better if they had a different director to really work on those scenes and not I, I just mm -hmm. feel like maybe he's married to being this like one and done type director and it's like eh good enough you know what I mean where it's like I'm Clint Eastwood it's fine was his last um, acting but, performance for another director trouble with the curve was that the last time see I think yeah, so I was that's what I was looking up so trouble with the curve but do you know the last one before that no uh million in the no. line of fire 1993. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I think that is, oh man, that's really sad. Like, I think it's, I just think it's yeah. really sad that, um, that, that we've maybe missed some really great stuff from him because he does, he has a charisma. He is an incredible mm. human being. Um, I just think the ego of putting himself on screen is, you know, putting some sort of weird, uh, false shine on it that another director wouldn't do. They'd try to make it authentic and, and feel real. Um, so yeah. 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 And I mean, I think that's just evident in this, in this movie, especially it's very physically evident in the scene where he's breaking in the horse. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was, it was a bit comedic in the way it was done Fringy. because it was so far away. And mm -hmm. then it was like in, you know, at a high angle yeah. for like two seconds. And then it was far yeah. away again. It's just Clint Eastwood going me, like this a little bit. And then, you know, yeah, shot, and me yeah. and my partner literally laughed. We laughed yeah. out loud because of how awkward yeah. the editing was. Cause it was, I was, I remember we were like, that's not Clint Eastwood. And then as soon as it went, went in, we're like, oh, it's definitely not Clint Eastwood, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and so, but really, okay. The real thing I think as well that this movie suffers from is that it is missing a bit of a third act. 
it doesn't really have one. Agreed. There's no climax. There's no sense of climax. There's nothing it's building to. It And all moments of tension just kind of like, I, I literally was saying out loud like, oh, that was easy. At every moment that should have been a moment of tension, especially there's yeah. a part at the end where um, they're kind of, confronted by two different elements that could have made for their own most very compelling third acts and they just kind of go away and I'm just sitting there kind of going well what was the point of this entire movie you know there was this pretend tension that never happened everything that even remotely could have been interesting uh, was dealt with easier than like ideal going to the grocery store you know like it was just it, it and it just felt a bit disappointing especially when you know the way the movie ends is in a way that i i just didn't feel anything you know it mm. ended the credits rolled and i was just like well that was a movie that well, was a movie it it was a film it, it's it's because i believe what we're supposed what we are supposed to feel the journey we are supposed to go on that the movie does not deliver is antagonistic relationship between old man and boy turns into mm. loving relationship between old man and boy. The problem is the movie isn't interested in showing us how that happens in any interesting way. And by the time you mm. get to the end where uh, I guess they're buddy buddy now, like we just we haven't seen that catharsis. We have had no emotional catharsis with these two through this entire movie. Well, we literally skip it. We yeah. skip it all because there's a bit of a time jump of mm -hmm. two weeks. And I remember just being like, oh, it's been two weeks. You know, like, mm -hmm. yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay. Guess if he had, if they hadn't technically said that over the phone, like, yeah, that can you do? I'm like, oh, it's been that long. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, my oh, friends. There is one thing I want. There is one thing I want to shout out good about this movie. Hey, let's do it. That's there's a good a way to. Okay. That's a good way to finish yeah. this out. Let's do it. Oh, no post credit scene. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a moment where Clint Eastwood and uh, Rafa are in a uh, like this chapel, and they're about to lay down for the night. And Clint Eastwood is talking about like his uh, his son and his wife, you know. And there was a a sense of disarming and like letting go of your emotions that I hadn't seen from Clint Eastwood in a really long time. I'm like, oh wow, so Clint, you're you're just gonna open up and, you know, be vulnerable. And it was a, maybe it's just because I rarely see Clint Eastwood in that, you know, mindset that it was actually kind mm -hmm. of disarming. And I was like, okay, I'm going to live in this moment because this is a rarity right here. So yeah. I actually really like that scene a lot. Well, there you go. There you go. Uh, we will end on a positive for uh, Still hate the movie. a crime on show, <laughs> even with two didn't liked it and I hated it. Uh, all right, let's continue on. Let's talk a little bit about what if. Time. Reality. Reality. It's changeable. Where you want to be? That's the question, isn't it? Every universe is different. Each one unique. Slow down a little bit. There's a few people in the room that don't understand. Not me. I, I get it. 
Reimagining noteworthy events in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and creating a multiverse of infinite possibilities, Disney Plus brings us the TV show What If, based on a comic series of the same name that does very similar things. Um, this is animated, and we get uh, some sort of kind of combination cell shading, rotoscoping kind of animation with this, and a lot, not all, but a lot of the original voice cast come back to play their roles in these uh, transitions, including, I think, the last technical performance from Chadwick Boseman Chadwick. Um, yeah. is uh, voicing uh, Black Panther in... Well, at least one of these episodes, maybe a couple. Um, and so, three so far. So there you go. So uh, so yeah, what did you guys think? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? We're dealing with the first six episodes. And again, as an anthology series, that's, oh, you know, we're dealing with six different stories here so far. Will they come together in some way towards the end? Who knows? I don't think so, but we'll we'll see what happens. But uh, Andrew, what did you think? You, you liking this, loving this, hating this? disliking this or it's just okaying this i'm really liking this i'm having okay. a lot of fun with this yeah good uh alice what about you i'm gonna say high side of liked it and that's just because there's a couple episodes i love there's a couple episodes i like there's a few episodes i like like really like to like and then there's one episode mm-hmm. in particular that i did not like <laughs> um so that so i'm gonna land on really like or like high side of liked on and low side of really liked. Yeah, very nice. Um, I think I'm lower than you guys. Uh, I I may squeaked into the liking it, um, but I I think I'm gonna go very very high side of it's just okay. Um, I oh wow. I mm. yeah I I think you know it's amazing how that how thin that distinction is between the very low side of liked it and very high side of just yeah. okay. But I think mm. I want to go there because I do think some of the negatives that um, that I have do kind of push me down uh, into into that level. But I'm excited to hear from you guys uh, what you're really liking about it. So um, Andrew, why don't you kick us off on this one? Uh. I enjoy the fact that I don't have to fully commit my, you know, in, investment to a specific episode or to the story mm-hmm. as a whole. It's it's relaxing because it's the first time ever since the first Iron Man movie that the ramifications of what I'm seeing are not going to that we know of <laughs> that are we not know going of. to yes. have yeah are are going to have any impact on the MCU as a whole that I get to let my guard down and just enjoy a hypothetical, what could have happened at some point in the story that we've been told so far. And there have been some episodes where I'm like, Oh, that's a fun concept. I really wish I could have seen where that could have progressed because I think that's really fun. There are other episodes where I'm like, Oh yeah, that was a fun little, uh, a fun little look at what could have happened. I don't need to see it ever again. Uh, <laughs> unlike unlike uh, Alice, I don't think that there's been one that I haven't liked. I've either liked them or I've really liked them. And I think there's even one episode I would just flat out say, oh man, I, I could do with like seven or eight more episodes of this story arc. But uh, yeah, overall- Is that the Doctor I, I Strange them. one? No, it's not the Doctor Strange one. Actually, the Ooh. one that I love the most is where T'Challa becomes Star-Lord. I think that that Ooh. story arc was so fun. Maybe it's because uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy universe 
is so full of levity that that episode in particular, you know, like it, it was just fun. Like it was ridiculous seeing some characters that we'd seen as villains, you know, be good guys. And that it was just, it was lighthearted enough to where I could go. Oh yeah, that was fun. Uh, the, the Dr. Strange one is like the one that I could look at and go, you know what? That one has the possibility to be the one that could be if any episode so far could be tied into the MCU that we know, I think the Doctor Strange one is the closest one that I could be like, you know, that could, you know, be shown in either Multiverse of Madness or in Spider-Man No Way Home. But, uh, yeah, there's, it's just, uh, it's been fun. Uh, I, I like how it starts off with the Peggy Carter becoming Captain Carter. That was a really fun episode. And, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things where it's, I, I'm glad I finally get to let down my guard, so to speak. Alice, what about you? Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think it's nice to just have something where you don't have to be like, oh, and this ties into that and this. And then you have to, like, dissect it for three hours after watching it, uh, Loki. <laughs> and, um, you know, like, have your whole mind exploded. I mean... Having said that, taking all of this with a giant grain of salt because there have been rumours and there's absolutely possibility that some of these episodes, and honestly, I have a theory that this is kind of a bit of a testing ground. You know, they're trying all these things that maybe executives or whoever it is aren't quite confident enough to give their own airtime. And then if people like it based on their, you know, reception of the episodes, they might integrate it or bring it to the actual MCU, like the full MCU. Um, but I've, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed going on the journey. My favorite episode is the Doctor Strange one. I think that's just excellent. Like, oh my goodness. I was glued to that screen the entire time. The visuals were yeah. stunning. The story was tragic but amazing um and then i also really liked the the captain carter one and the um guardians of the galaxy type one um also i think i was wrong i think chadwick's in four of the six episodes so five, far actually. and i think he's five five he's supposed oh, to be in course. five you mean oh, total, five is total. What it, is what imdb says okay yes yeah, okay. that's five. cool that's cool. And, and that's been really nice too, because like, you know, seeing him get so much time in this version of the MCU, it's been really great. It's been sad. Like I've definitely been like, no, oh. like I'm really sad that I don't, cause I, I, the more I see this as well, the more I think he was meant to be the next Iron Man. You know, he was meant to be the next Tony Stark character that gelled everything together. And, and it's sad to know that's never going to get to happen. Cause he would have been so great. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I just think – and also because it's in animation, it is really cool to just see the visuals just explode literally in Technicolor, you know. And so yeah. that's also been really fun to see and a great way to immediately differentiate yourself outside of the, you know, typical MCU. Because if this was live action, it might be a bit more difficult. But this way, A, I think it would have been much easier to get all the ta most of the talent back because it's like, just record it in your, you know, in your bedroom and then send it through. Um, and then like um, B, you know, it's just, a, yeah, my mind is immediately like, okay, this is a different hypo hypothetical experience. Um, and so, and that's something I just love. I love thinking about hypotheticals, thought experiments, you know, going into like that philosophical as aspect of like, oh, but what if, you know? And so this is really hitting that part of me as well. 
Uh, that last part is my favorite part of this series. Um, I it, it has been my favorite part of looking forward to this series. Uh, I was very excited uh, for What If because of the idea of the freedom of exploring real different concepts with these characters, uh, understanding you know different ideas for them. Um, that is really appealing to me. And for the most part, um, the show is willing to at least uh, make an effort at going there. Um, and so I, I appreciate that. It allows the show to be a little darker on occasion. Um, there yeah. are at least two of these six first six episodes are really dark. Like, you know, and mm. they don't, and they the don't, Pym one. Yeah. And, and, and they the don't, they Doctor do, Strange. they don't, they don't feel the need um, to be like, uh, oh, gotta, gotta land the, the happy ending. You know, like there isn't yeah. that thing. Yeah. And I, I, I really like that. I do like that. Uh, as I transition to some of the things I didn't like, uh, I will say in regards to that, the show still has too much invested in callbacks in you know, things that we've already seen things that we feel like we want to see again. Uh, I'll start with the Captain Carter episode. I love the idea that Peggy Carter became the super soldier and, you know, how, what that might look like. But the show doesn't have the guts to make the um, the um, the original Captain America, um, the Chris, Chris uh, Evans, right? Chris. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know why my mind is blank. Yeah. <laughs> So the Chris Evans, yeah. the Chris, Steve Rogers, the Steve yeah. Rogers character, it doesn't have the guts to make the Steve Rogers character the same, you know, level of comparison as the Peggy Roger, uh, the the Peggy character mm. was in the original. It has supporter. to give has to give That's him a, a superpower. Point. Has to have him come save the day a couple times. Has to, like there's this element of oh, we know the audience loves Steve Rogers. We better have him do something. No, you're in what if? Have Steve Rogers be like the, the yeah. doting uh, wimpy boyfriend that he would have been. Like you know what I mean? Like that's cool. I love that idea. Um, but no, and not only do you give him a superpower, you make him save the day like two times. Like, you know, like it's so it's it's one of those things where the the show and that's just one of the episodes. There are other examples in, in some of the other episodes as well, where like I'll, I'll take I'll do the Doctor Strange one. So Doctor Strange has this this thing happen um, where, in you know, instead of the car accident, I think the title of the episode is what if he lost his heart instead of his hand? So in the accident, yeah. he loses Christine instead of, uh, you know, injuring his hands so bad. Um, that's a really interesting thing. But then the episode can, goes in and, and like hits all these same Dr. Strange points from that, that thing on, like he still, you know, embraces the mystic arts. He still fights Dormammu. He's still like, you know, it's like, if we don't give the audience these things that they know, they won't accept the things that they don't. And I'm just like, no, be, be true to your, what if concepts, like really embrace them. What is different about Dr. Strange because of that, where, you know, maybe the Dormammu thing gets solved differently, or, you know, maybe he's not there for that, or I don't know. It's just, it just seems like for some, and again, this is sounding like I hate the show. I don't. I'm just saying that this is a big part of the dis some of the disappointment I have with the show, even as I'm enjoying some of it, is, you know, I really wanted them to embrace it, and I feel like they're still kind of catering uh, to an audience. Do I understand that? Sure. Of course I do. I get catering to an audience that loves this stuff. Um, but I just think, you know, this was the opportunity to really do something different. Um, 
And, you know, in some cases they do. I think the zombie episode, you know, is really different. There's there's some winks in there. There's some callbacks. That's fine. I don't mind occasional wink and callback. Just when it's affecting the overall story in some of these is, you know, kind of one of my one of my negatives. The other yeah. thing I disagree on, I think, with you guys, I don't like the animation style. I, 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 I enjoy that it's animated in some of the things they can do with animation, but I really find whatever style they're going for very off-putting. That's a personal thing. Hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't know what it is. It, I guess it's the rotoscoping aspect to it that feels, you know, just a, a little weird to me. Um, so, so that's mm-hmm. distracting me a little bit, keeping me from kind of being on that next level. Um, well, you so. know, they're trying to make it look like a comic book. Yeah. Yeah, so. I think that's right. I think that's right. Hmm. Um, In my brain, it's kind of like they took the style of Invincible and the style of Into the Spider-Verse and like melded them because that's how. And then also they kind of try to make it a little bit. There are times when, you know, that filter that like used to exist where it like makes you into the cartoon version, not not the Cell Pixar shame. version, but it's like, yeah, sure. yeah the self-shaded version of yourself. Like that's kind of what it looks like. Right, exactly. Um, and actually one of my negatives is that, it's not a negative it's more of a nitpick but it's like for some of the characters it's so well done in terms of the accuracy of their depiction but then in some of the characters it's like they got lazy and we're like eh like in the most recent episode pepper potts i was just like she doesn't look anything how do they no. get some people like killmonger and tony stark so right and then they just throw her you know depiction completely away mm-hmm. um so that was something that and that kind of pulls me out sometimes as well especially because they they f- took the time to find a voice actor who could replicate gwyneth paltrow's tone of voice like it's not an exact it's not an imitation but it's very similar it's got that like kind of nasally Gwyneth Paltrow tone, mm-hmm. but then they kind of dropped it on the depiction. Um, and also, I should say, the episode I really, really didn't like is the most recent one. It's the Killmonger one. I yeah. just thought it was a bit of a lazy what if. And I was just kind of, the whole time, I was just like, eh, nothing about this compels me. It doesn't make any sense. And this kind of also leads me into something that I have noticed for the last few episodes, where I just feel like they haven't quite, it's almost like they didn't decide on an ending. I feel like there is some of the episodes have endings uh, where they were satisfying, like not necessarily they closed it out, but I was like, ah, yes, that's where that particular arc ended, especially the first few, but the last few and especially have very much ended in a, I feel like they could have put a to be continued at the end. Open-ended. And, um, but it's so open-ended. I'm just like, I've, I don't feel like what we've just seen. This story arc has not been closed. Like I'm still kind of sitting here going, okay, but how does this end at all? You know, it's not. And so that's something that's kind of frustrated me a little bit more this time around as well. Well, I will say you guys mentioned, you know, rumors that stuff might play in. I have thought from the very beginning, because they're heading into the multiverse, that all of this is canon. Like, I, I see all of this is just multiverse canon. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, because oh, yeah. Well, it is. Especially it is because- technically. Because you've got the Watcher, you know, over all these yeah. kind of being our our guide and in, in telling us about. Yeah. So I... I fully expect them to play into larger storylines uh, eventually yeah. or to mm. be revisited even within the show um, as Well, they've slightly con- confirmed that at least Captain Carter and Supreme Doctor Strange will like they, – they have basically teased that they're going to play some sort of a role in the Doctor Strange multiverse into Madness movie, which I have to say every single time a new show comes out or something, they're all like, oh, it's going to play a role in Doctor Strange multiverse into Madness. And I'm like, my gosh, yeah. how many – 
things are going to be in this movie. You know, well, pretty much everything that's come out since uh, the last, since Endgame has is playing into multiverse really, of madness. It, and I'm like, yeah. it really does remind me of the early, early days of Marvel when it was like, can they mm. pull off a team up movie? Like, they can they really pull that mm. off? Like, that's going to be so hard. You have. You know, Tony Stark, Thor, Captain, can you really put them all in the same movie and make it work? Like, you know, and they did it. And so now there's a lot of, I'm, I feel the same way where it's like, can you really touch on all these multiverses and make it interesting and make sense and not feel cheap and whatever? And I hope they can pull it off again, you know, if they, you know, do another magic trick and, and make it work. Um, <laughs> yeah, but- it was like a, the first Avengers was can you pull off a team up of all these actors? Mm-hmm. This one's going to be, can you pull a team up of all these studios? Yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. There's that as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do think that makes sense. What you said, uh, the Dr. Strange and the Captain Carter episodes do have a, a common being that is in both of them that I also thought was, was interesting. The, I think they named it the champion of Hydra um in uh, in the first one so you know i don't i don't know it'll be maybe the champion of hydra will show up in uh, the multiverse movie as well i don't know but um, who knows who knows what's going to happen the other thing <laughs> the other negative thing i wanted to mention is i feel like i agree it's it makes it nice and easy for them to be like hey record this stuff in your own studio or we'll take you to a studio there and record it but i think you can tell I think with some of these performances and the way they're stitched together that you can tell there's a lot of different rooms, you know, going on here. And Mm. I I think the performances do suffer for that. I think if, if I had one recommendation would be, yes, you can still do it remotely. Um, And I know Marvel listens to the podcast. So uh, Kevin, (laughs) Kevin, this is for you. Feige is, Feige is actually in the chat right now. Yeah. So, so Kevin, here's my suggestion. He's under Phil Sousa. Yeah. That's actually. I know everybody's got uh, tough schedules, but you're not asking them to drop everything for a couple months to film a movie. You're asking them to drop everything for a day to record audio, get them all in a, in a place where they can see each other, perform off of each other. If they're in the same scene. Because, um, and they may be doing that for some of it, but there are some times you can just tell, like, they are piecing together performances that did not realize, you know, what was going on. Or at at the very least, maybe, like, they heard the line and tried to react off of it, but there's just something more organic about, you know, being able to see each other act together, so... um, that's that's my one thing. Like I, I do think it negatively impacts the show. And again, as the one who has been a little more negative than you guys, I will just say again, I actually um, am having a good time with this show. Um, I do that's think it is the high, high, high side of it's just okay. So yeah, yeah. Yep. Anything else from you guys? Mm-hmm. I'm interested okay. to see where it's going to go to. Like. I don't know why I have a sense that this final episode's going to be some sort of bleak. Because I feel like as well, the Watcher is having more and more of a role in these. So is there going to be a bleed with these main characters at the final episode where they all, yeah, the that's maybe where the multiverse starts to crack and we kind of see them start to blend together. I'm, I'm, Again, I just I feel like this is what I'm going to say after every, you know, in between every Marvel show, but it's like I'm very intrigued. I have theories. I don't know, and I'm wondering if they're going to pull it off. But also I will just say I'm very very satisfied with the choice of Jeffrey Wright for the voice of the Watcher. Oh, that man yeah. has one of the most dulcet tones 
and yep. he could anything. I will listen to it. You know, I'll be like your great pick through vast inconsistencies. It's pretty good. So it's good. like some Neil deGrasse Tyson mm-hmm. like yeah. bit of a voice going to it, and I'm just like, I believe that you do watch all of this, <laughs> especially with Westworld and everything. I'm just like, yeah, yeah. yep, yep, yeah. 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 Totally. Uh, I would actually really like a full episode where Uatu, who is the Watcher, if he was the main character, you know. Uh, there's mm. actually a really interesting comic where he dies and, like, he's found on Earth. And you're like, wow, who killed the Watcher? Because the Watchers are incredibly powerful beings in the uh, the Marvel Universe. So if they were to do that specific comic arc... I think that it would be really, really fascinating. It, 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 and uh, what I've liked about uh, What If so far is that they've they haven't been leaning on you know multiversal comic stories. I think everything that I've seen so far has been pretty original. Like there hasn't been a need to like do a comic adaptation of like a. Uh, you know anything that I've seen. I think it's original sin is the one I'm thinking. Yeah, so. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I'm liking the originality and that they're not leaning on comic cause I don't know if Marvel, uh, has done a zombie, uh, a story arc. I know DC has, and they, yeah, they so, have. so brilliantly named it deceased, mm-hmm. you know, which was, <laughs> and it was actually a, a incredibly fascinating story arc. Um, yeah, if Marvel no, has they done did. It, then... Mar- Marvel has has one. It's called Marvel Zombies. Um, they they weren't as clever with their title, <laughs> and um, and actually, it's, they actually slightly differentiate in that the the zombies in the comic books are much more sentient than the ones in the show. So in the mm. show, they're much like zombies, except they can also like use their powers and you know special skills or whatever while in the comics what's interesting is that they're still sentient they just have this like overwhelming hunger to eat you know people and so there's this for example there's this great bit in the comic books where peter parker's like oh my god what have i done because he's just eaten mary jane and aunt may he's like but i can't (laughs) oh my god what have i done but i can't help myself and so it's a great sort of like it's a really interesting sort of comic series because it's it's not meant to be taken that seriously, but it's also a great way of them because they're still heroes and they're also the, because they're, you know, the the Avengers and everything. They're the reason the world's essentially ended because they're too powerful to stop. But they're also, they feel, they feel really bad about it, you know? So, I, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't feel so good, Mr. Stark. I have a tummy ache. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just an eye. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, I, you know, I, I hope they connect them. I imagine, I just imagine one of the last episodes, like Loki's going to show up in a TVA uniform or, you know, like there, like there's <laughs> so, something's going to happen at some point to, to connect stuff. I, Marvel can't help. Well, it'd themselves. be cool if he showed up and then he's like, oh my God, why my cartoon? You know, like, yeah. like it's Wait, a different reality. Okay, That'd be no, cool. no, that would not be cool. That is a level of fourth wall breaking. I do not want to see Marvel go that's into. Deadpool-ish. That is Deadpool. But if they that's have the to introduce Deadpool into that, it. That's the only permission they have is Deadpool. Okay. Nobody else can break the fourth wall. That, that to me, that will signal something that I will not be a fan of. If any other character other than Deadpool breaks the fourth wall, um, yeah, that'll that'll be rough. I mean, they they edge close with some of their humor is very winking, 
but it all f- mm. it all still feels world real. It doesn't feel like yeah. you know they have to be aware that there are people um, watching them. Now, obviously, the watcher is breaking the fourth wall in some ways. He's definitely talking to Which, somebody, but that mm, doesn't yeah. necessarily mean it's us, the audience. Like you know, he it could be him just telling a story. So you know, that's just typical yeah. narration kind of stuff. Um, so yeah. And this is totally off topic, but since we brought up Deadpool, I still really want the story arc that was kind of teased as a possibility where uh, Deadpool actually sits down with Kevin Feige and uh, (laughs) Kevin Feige hires him to kill the Fox and Sony universe. And his payment is to get into the MCU. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Which I thought was like, oh, I really wish that was like, how that happened like because obviously you know uh marvel or uh, kevin feige has actually confirmed you know ryan reynolds will be deadpool in mm. the mcu mm-hmm. so like that story arc of like him sitting down with feige and like yeah there's just too much you know too much uh, uh hassle to get all the people from the fox and sony so we're gonna need you to kill off these people in edge payment we'll let you into the yeah. mcu i'm like oh that would be like the perfect introduction for the MCU mm-hmm. and then it would also help tie off any loose ends with Fox and Sony. Yeah. You know, what if they, they did it like room. a Pixar short, you know how, cause I mean, it's Disney, right? So what if they did it in the same vein of like having the, a pic, a Marvel short, but it's yeah. like a Pixar <laughs> short and then having the movie after it. And then that could be maybe like the, the next main Marvel movie or the Deadpool movie. And it's like, yeah. And that, that would be really cool. Yeah. 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 I just want maybe a cross comic book thing where I can I can watch uh, them asking who watches the Watchmen watching the Watcher. That's what that's what uh, I think. Uh, really, oh, the Watchmen's Watcher. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. Well, they kind of they kind of have that. Yeah, the yeah. one the one above all. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move into the best ever challenge. Before we do, though, thank you so much for uh, those who support Sif Pop through Patreon. Patreon.com slash Sif Pop uh, starts at $3 a month, and there's different levels with different kind of fun things that we do. One of those is a bonus podcast. Every single week, you get a little bit of extra conversation. We talked for 15 to 20 minutes about Norm MacDonald uh, this week on the Sif Pop bonus episode. So if you're curious to hear our thoughts on that or many other things going back through the other weeks. But, uh, yeah, we try to do that weekly and uh, put that in your own special podcast feed that, by the way, also has no commercials. Um, So when you are a member of Sif Pop, um, it's a commercial free experience in those bonus podcasts, um, as well as the main podcast is commercial free as well. So uh, you can all check that out at Patreon.com slash Sif Pop. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, into the best ever Clint Eastwood movies, and we are talking about movies that he has acted in. The Grimace from Alice says to me, I'm a little behind on my Clint Eastwood, guys. Uh, give me some time. I'm just I'm just a youngin. Give me some time. Um, is that the, is that what's going on, Alice? I mean, it's that, and also similar to you, Aaron, I'm not the biggest fan of Westerns, right, so I've never right. been like, you know what I feel like watching? A Clint Eastwood movie, <laughs> because that's like 80% of his repertoire, and so I have just... I went and looked at his IMDb and I was like, oh, that's fine. I'll make a list. La, la, la. Uh-huh. And then I was like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> and so this is going to be very interesting. Very fun. I love it. I love it. We'll go number five to number one. Of course, we can uh, do some trumping if we have it higher than somebody else. Um, all right. So uh, I will. Let's go to Alice. Alice, why don't you start us off with your number five? My number five is Casper because he play he is in the movie as Clint uncredited. Eastwood uncredited nice. and it counts because it's on his acting <laughs> there you IMDb go. and I was like good enough man um, I don't remember this movie so <laughs> Trump I, no I'm <laughs> <laughs> that would be the, would that would be the shocked. greatest thing ever if Andrew had Casper at number one. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I think that would have shocked everyone. Oh, it's yes. Like, oh, and yeah. all of a sudden, that's his the favorite would have movie of all time. just shut down. Yes, yes. The, the, the ghost, the um, boy in the Casper uh, is, is my number one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's it. Is it as good? No, um, but we can still talk about it. Sure. So, yeah, it's uh, no, I, I, okay. This is a special place in my heart because it's one of the VHSs I had as a kid that I would play on repeat. Because, yes, when I was a kid, VHSs were still a thing. And I, yeah, I used to watch that in Italian. So that's the way I've consumed that movie. Um, I have never watched it in English. So this would be very interesting to see. But I just, you know, it was a perfect film to sit your six-year-old in front of and make her watch it like 30 times so that you could do the vacuuming as my mum used to do. And that's how Otherwise I remember known it. And it's as kind of- parenting. But continue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and I haven't really haven't seen, seen it since. Clint Eastwood movie then if you saw it dubbed. <laughs> that's then, right. Yeah. Well, he's, yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, no. No, it, it counts. It counts. It's, it's animated counts. as such. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, it, it's just a fun sort of like perfect 2000s nostalgia. Casper, I feel like, is one of the, honestly, Casper is one of those like characters that could do with a bit of a remake if they were interested in it. You know, that is something that had yeah. a lot of like fame and nostalgia back in the day, but people I feel like recognize it more by name and by look than anything else. So if they could figure out an interesting and intelligent story behind it, that could be cool. And Clint Eastwood is in it. That's my There you go. Well done, Alice. I can't fault you for that. 
That is why I went with you first. I was so curious what you squeezed in at the bottom of the list. Um, yeah. Aaron. Yeah, my number five is Unforgiven. Um, yeah, I assumed it would be Trumped. So we will we will let you talk about that uh, when you have that, either one of you. Uh, what about your number five, Andrew? So unlike Alice, I have seen <laughs> many of Clint Eastwood's movies. And I actually put limits on my list. So I would only have one American Western, okay. one spaghetti Western, okay. one like cop movie and uh, drama and stuff like that. So just keep that in mind as I'm going on. Like, Interesting. If I would have had like, because I didn't want to have every single one of mine being like a spaghetti Western. dollars, few dollars yeah, more, yeah, yeah. you yeah. know, any of so. I wanted to limit myself. So uh, I'm going to start off with my number five, which is Dirty Harry. Mm-hmm. And- oh, Trump. Oh! oh! All that exposition <laughs> and I get trumped. <laughs> nice. Nice. I love it. I love it, actually. Yeah. All right. That's All right, okay. Well, you can keep talking about it because it's my number four. Oh, so. well, there we go. Okay. On to your number four. Well, Alice, actually, you start talking about it yeah, because you, you had it a little off. bit higher. So tell us okay. about Dirty Harry. Well, there are two movies on my list that I have my university degree to thank because I wouldn't have seen them had it not been forced upon me by my curriculum. So Dirty Harry (laughs) is one of them. And it was just, honestly, it was nice to see Clint Eastwood in not a cowboy role because up until that point... hadn't really happened for me mm-hmm. and especially because i'm not a western fan but i do enjoy a good you know corrupt cop like run down cop sort of hunting down the bad guy but hating the world as well yeah um and that's you know i feel like one of the one of the classics and i mean i don't even need to say the quote for everyone to know what it is it's but his most famous it quote. is it is yeah. yeah and it's got the perfect it has the perfect Clint Eastwood face behind it as mm-hmm. well. It's not only perfect in his execution of the word, it's in of the words, it's perfect in his facial execution as well. And yeah, it's just a lot of fun. It's exact you know what? It's actually unlike Cry Macho, excellent title. Dirty Harry. That's a- everything mm-hmm. you need to know about the movie. And it is just Honestly, it's fun, which I did not expect going in. I was gonna be like, oh Lord, here we go. And I ended up being like, huh cool and then be able to talk about it at uni so yeah definitely um one that i did not expect to like as much as i did nice andrew did he fire six shots or only five (laughs) somebody was gonna do it (laughs) yeah do i feel lucky do you punk no um yeah i actually i came across dirty harry a lot later i say later i was still like 18 or 19 when i saw it Mm -hmm. um but it's it was one of those movies where I, for me growing up, the cop dramas that I had seen were a lot more, I guess you could say lighthearted, I guess like the lethal weapons, you know, where it's, um, you know, like, yeah, it's a cop cops who, you know, they, you know, they're, they take justice into their own hands sort of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, but dirty Harry was like my first introduction to, the darker side, I guess you could say of, you know, the, uh, the cop who plays by his own rules and sort of thing. Like, yeah, he gets the job done and this is going to be a weird parallel, but Alice, do you remember, uh, I think it was a couple, whenever we were doing, uh, um, Michael Rooker, uh, mm-hmm. movies, we were talking about, uh, Mississippi burning yes. and, uh, how you said, I think you said at the beginning, I can't believe I remember this. I think you said at the beginning, you were very much more on Willem Dafoe's side in that movie. But as the movie progressed, you became more like 
well, Gene Hackman, yeah, you just get the movie just beats you down to where you're like, yeah, Gene Hackman, he's the one. Yeah, it's not the law, but he's going to get it done, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's actually, I think, very comparable to how Clint Eastwood is in Dirty Harry, except we never get the chance to feel like the Willem Dafoe character. It starts you off with, yeah, he's like, he's going to go order a hot dog. And then he's gonna he's just gonna wait, sit outside that bank, wait for it to get robbed, and then shoot everybody as they come out. No freeze, put up your hands or anything like that. He just walks Gets across the, the job street done. with a forty-four Magnum, the most powerful <laughs> handgun in the world that could blow your head clean off. Ugh. Oh, I love Dirty Harry so much. Yeah, <laughs> Aaron, so. I feel like when you told us the list, you know, Andrew was just like, "Yes." Yeah, <laughs> when he read oh. that, <laughs> this- oh, I came up with the list. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh. This, Andrew was the one that suggested this list. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so. Yeah, I've seen Dirty Harry recently. Um, you know, for for me, one of the things uh, I really respect about it is, and it's not the only movie doing this at this time, but it it, it really kind of launches the anti-hero kind of thing in some interesting ways, mm. and yeah. Um, and yeah, I think audiences were just ready for it. Um, so so yeah, Dirty Harry. Well. Not to keep going off of, you know, <laughs> not to keep prolonging this, but the villain in this, he doesn't even have a name. He's just the killer, you know? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. But, yeah, it doesn't matter. But he is so vile and evil that it makes rooting for Harry uh, that much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Which yeah. is nice. It's sometimes, you know, I know that now it's it's better or it's more common to give dimension to your villain, to give them, mm-hmm. you know, character and motivation and understanding. But sometimes you just want your bad guys to be bad guys, you know? I don't mm-hmm. care. I don't. I yeah. just want them to be evil and I want them to be yeah. beaten. That's it. Yeah, set so up simple just, stakes. Yeah, simple stakes. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, that means we're at my number four, I believe. Um, yeah. I mm-hmm. don't think this will get trumped. I would be very surprised. Uh, I have a perfect world. Uh, at number four. Um, I really, really enjoy this movie. Um, I kept, I think it's one of Kevin Costner's best performances, if not his best performance. Um, I think Eastwood also directed this one, right? If I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Um, and really was one of the first movies I was like, oh, okay, Clint Eastwood's got a, you know, an eye for this, understands how things are done. There's a definite kind of moral conundrum aspect to this movie that I'm always going to really appreciate. Yeah, it's unique. And, um, and yeah, so, and it has one of my favorite lines in all of cinema that Clint Eastwood um, delivers, and that's when he says, well, I do like tater tots. That's uh, that's in this movie. So, um, so yeah, sure you'll, have, you'll have to check it out for context. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, that's a perfect we- world. <laughs> In Cry Mancha, we have uh, an old man taking <laughs> a young boy under his wing. Mm-hmm. Same thing in a perfect world, That's except right. it's more it's more <laughs> just leave out the kidnapping part. In the chicken. Know? There's no chicken. Uh, the yeah. chi- there's no chicken. That's right. Yeah. That's right. No, actually, I think Perfect World is one of those hidden gems. I agree. A lot of people totally. haven't seen it. And uh I, I highly recommend it because it's it is such a unique story that uh but I think that, you know, whenever you have high caliber actors, you know, where yep. Gran Torino <laughs> and uh, this one or, and uh, Cry Macho Fall, where you, you just want to be authentic. But you, if you get really good actors, you can do the one take and it'll be good, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yep. Well, yeah. and I think he's gotten even more as he's gotten older into that uh, real one take thing. He was always a quick shooter, but I think even as he has, you know, um, gone further, it's it's gotten yep. even more. Just like that's it, I'm done. Next thing. He's gotten less patience. He, mm-hmm. He's like <laughs> now yeah. he's like halfway through the scene. He's like, that's ah, fine. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yep. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not done with all my dialogue. Yeah, that's fine. What's your number four, <laughs> Andrew? Uh, my number four is Grand Torino. I'm going to trump that one. Uh, okay. All right. Well, Alice, what do you got at uh, number three? Well, this is my second of two movies that I've only seen because of uni, and that is A Fistful of Dollars. Nice. And I'm so, so sorry to say this, Andrew. It's the only one I've seen in the trilogy. It's fine. So, <laughs> um, it's fine. And that's because, again, I don't, I'm not the biggest fan of Westerns. So every time I go to watch The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, I'm like, but I don't want to. And then I don't. <laughs> and so it's, it's a lot. Um, it's an undertaking. It's an, un- it's a three plus, mo- three hour plus movie. So yeah. That's the thing. And like, I know I need to watch it because obviously it is cons- like one of the, you know, best movies of all time, but also because it's a spaghetti Western and as an Italian, I am, you know, prescribed to watch that before I die. So I will get around to it. But sure. A Fistful <laughs> of Dollars is the one I've seen. And it is, yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a Western. Like I enjoyed it. It's I enjoyed it more than Shane, which is the other, other Western I had to watch at uni. And I did not like that one. And I enjoyed it I like more Shane than I thought. Especially considering that, <laughs> of course you do, <laughs> but especially I enjoyed it more than I thought, especially considering that going in, I was like, oh, okay, it's this Western trope. It's the guy rolls into town and he's got the two people and then he's got to fight against the bad people and blah, blah, blah. But then as you get into the movie, you're like, oh, oh, is there an extra element at play here? Okay, okay. And then that allowed me to get into it a little bit more. And yeah, you know, obviously it's the first of the Man With No Name trilogy. So there's a lot of so- setup, I guess, going on where you kind of are getting to know this guy, but not really, because that's the thing. You don't really get to know him, but you get an- to know him enough to hold yeah. on to him for, you know, the rest of the trilogy going into obviously the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you know, as it's a spaghetti Western, it's also a great sort of entry into that whole genre. And it's just, yeah, it was a lot more fun than I ever thought it was going to be. And so that's why it's number three on my list. And one of the only Westerns that would be this high up, I'll say that much, you know, that are pure Westerns that aren't like Django or anything like that. Sure. So yeah. Sure. Sure. Nice. It's actually one of the few West or it's, uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is the only of the Man with No Name movies that isn't based off of a Kira Sahawa samurai movie. Mm. The rest of them are. Uh, this one here is uh, based off of Yojimbo, which is a great movie. Yeah. I highly recommend it. I went um, to watch that afterwards as well, and I enjoyed that too. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting seeing the parallels between the wandering gunslinger and the... Uh, what would you call them? They're not, they're, they're, they're samurai, but they're, uh, wandering Ronin. samurai. You know, the Ronin. Oh yeah. The Ronin, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, uh, the Roman it, it, Ronin. Yeah. The, uh, the Roman Ronin. Love it. He's Roman. He's Roman. But, uh, it, yeah, it's interesting, interesting seeing that parallel. And it's something that Sergio Leone really was able to, uh, he, he had the eye for making that transition to, to a Western setting. Really fascinating because, if you think about 
you know, samurai, you know, noble, you know, stuff like that. But in the, then you think about the old West, which is the exact opposite of nobility. It's, you know, uh, murder and, you know, survival of the, the grittiest, you know? So being able to take that story and transition it was fascinating. And, you can't help but love the music. The Inyo Americon oh. music in that trilogy is just beautiful. Gotta love it. Mm. So, yeah, I, I if I could, if I didn't put the uh, the limits on myself, you know, I would definitely have had Fistful of Dollars on my on my list too. Nice. Um, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen this one yet. <laughs> um, so, in fact, the only one I've Not seen surprised. will will come up later. Uh, in the trilogy, I've only <laughs> seen the the one, um, but uh, but yeah, so it's on my list of shame. Hopefully, I will get there soon. Uh, all right, so my number three, I think that's where we're at. Um, yeah, my yeah. number three is in the line of fire. We mentioned this movie uh, earlier. It's a good one. It's um, a really good one. It's a really good movie. Uh, yeah, and this is. This is Malkovich going like full Malkovich. Uh, oh, and, oh, he's not holding back. Wolfgang Peterson's like, hey, you do you. You yeah, do you. Yeah. <laughs> and it works for me. There's there's a heightened reality to this movie that was common during, you know, the time, but it completely works for me. I believe like I just I put myself in that world and I believe what's going on. There's a real, you know, uh drive through the movie about what it means to protect someone, what it means to do your job, what it means to sacrifice um, the, you know, the, the Malkovich Eastwood um, performance chemistry is really good in this. You just get a real sense that they are, you know, these fairly level combatants in this game um, of protection and man. Yeah. In the line of fire is, is definitely one of my faves. So uh, I had to put it at number three. I need to go back and rewatch it because I saw it when I was fairly young. I remember it very well, but I, I'm sure that there's there's parts of this movie where we're like, you know what, I, it'd be a really good drama to go back to and enjoy. I've seen it fairly recently, and it holds up pretty well. Um, okay, so, good. That's yeah. good to hear. Yeah, I, th- I think it will. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, all right, on to your number three, Andrew. This is where I have. It's probably going to get Trump. Million Dollar Baby. Trump. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. I guess that I means we're on to our number twos then. Um, so, yeah. Al- Alice, what do you got at number two? I have American Sniper, where Clint Eastwood plays the very integral role of churchgoer. And it <laughs> counts. It does count. See, you know how this it game does. is played. You get it. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I have to say, when I went through his IMDb, I had seen, ex- I had five movies ticked I on his it. acting, and nice. I was like, I love it. "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> oh, I was just like, <laughs> right. "Oh, right. good." Um, and so I was very relieved too that this technically would count. So yes, American Sniper, obviously. He's in it, but it's not really about him. It's about sure. the Bradley Cooper character, and I have to say, this is probably the most transformed I've seen Bradley Cooper and not just in the way that he like made himself look like a tank but also in the type of character he plays it's a very 
reserved, you know, very quiet sort of performance, but still powerful. And I think especially because previous to this, I had mostly seen him in very sort of like charismatic, outgoing type characters, especially, you know, his earlier comedy work like Hangover and um, Wedding Crashes. So seeing him sort of then transition, you know, into Silver Linings Playbook and like this, it's a nice transition where you could tell that he was really just picking up stuff that he could do something different with. And I, you know, not an American, so I don't have that whole like military, you know, or or normal sort of stuff that might come with like an American sniper or military type movie, but it still was really powerful to see. And it was tragic and there was a horrifying baby that we don't need to talk about in it. (laughs) And it was just... You know, it's. I think it's also quite a long movie from memory, but I didn't feel like it when I was watching it. And yet there's nothing really, you know, too, like, I mean, there's intense moments and there's action moments, but I don't think that's where the main story is. And in those moments after the war, those are my favourite. Those are the most captivating. And it's such an interesting character study. Um, so, yeah, I just, I loved it. So when I saw it, and it's been a couple of years now, but I might revisit it, you know, having talked about it now. Yeah. But, yeah, great movie. I think it's really well done. It's a little over two hours. Yeah, I think it's really well done, Mm. for sure. Mm. Yeah. Uh, It's it's interesting seeing a movie that's different from the actual biography that uh, Chris Kyle wrote, Uh, because I actually read this way before I saw the movie. Mm. But it's one of those rarities. I try not to be this guy, but it's just one of those inevitabilities where you look for differences, you know, Mm -hmm. from book to movie. Yeah. But this was one of those rarities where I'm like, you know what? I can I appreciate this because it's interesting because I can while this may not be authentic to how Chris Kyle would acted and stuff, I can still look at this movie and go, This is still a soldier. And seeing a soldier go through PTSD when he comes back home, you know, whenever somebody slams the door too hard and you know, they go into battle mode or something like that. It was fascinating seeing that story told because I think that that is still a story that needed to be told. It may not be the Chris Kyle story, but it's but it's that story story being told through this persona of this this sniper who's killed more than any other American soldier mm. or ever or any soldier ever. Yeah, um, yeah it's yeah. fascinating seeing that. Yeah, and and just like Alice said, seeing Bradley Cooper transform for this role, not even just physically, but seeing him do this kind of role was like, okay, this guy, he could be one of the greats. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Good pick. Good pick. I love Clint Eastwood's role in this movie. uh, Yes. It's very integral. Yes. It's very compelling. Uh, My number two will likely get trumped. Uh, I have the good, the bad, and the ugly at number two. Uh, You're good. (laughs) (laughs) you fool uh so we'll talk about that here in a second what is your number two uh andrew this is where i have unforgiven oh okay and i had that at number five talk about it um yeah uh this is his uh magnum opus whenever it comes to american westerns uh i think people consider this the quintessential american western because it does things that most Westerns were afraid to do up until that point. Right. Uh, up until that point, you had the, uh, the lone, you know, gunman rolling into town, couldn't miss a shot, you know, and uh, Clint Eastwood had done many, many of those movies, but this one was the most realistic 
and hauntingly terrifying of all the Westerns ever made, really. Because um, there was such a sense of danger and dread in this movie that had been unseen till this point. Gene Hackman's role as Bill was just eerie because he was a man who could back up the the talk. Mm-hmm. And you you knew this movie was going to be different whenever Clint Eastwood rolls into town for the first time and he gets the ever-living crap kicked out of him by Gene Hackman. You're like, but but this is Clint Eastwood. I've seen him take on Stan, uh, Eli Wallach and Lee Van Cleef. He shot him from a, a graveyard, you know? Uh, there was a try standoff and he came out unscathed. How was this guy getting beat up? And you're like... Oh, it's going to be one of those movies. And then, of course, you have Morgan Freeman, who is just killing it in this movie. He's doing such an amazing job as being the moral compass for this Clint Eastwood character who we've been hearing myths about and how he was one of the most terrifying, not even a good guy. Clint Eastwood's character is not a good guy in this movie. He's just for the job that needs to be done. He is the lesser of the two evils. Actually, I think the movie is saying Gene Hackman is possibly even a better character than Clint Eastwood. It's just for the specific job that needs to be done to help avenge these, these women that in this moment, Clint Eastwood's going to be the guy. It's, it's fascinating because in this movie, Gene Hackman is playing the role of the good guy but he's going to lose. It's such a crazy good movie. Yeah. 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 I had it on my list for a reason. Um, it, I haven't seen it since it came out on home video. So it has been a while since I have revisited this. Um, but I remember that intensity that you're talking about in the idea that it was yeah. basically bringing it was, in some weird ana- uh, analogous way. It's kind of like what the dark Knight did for comic book movies. Like this did for Westerns. Like there's, there's this kind of thing yeah. where, where it offers a grit and a reality to it. that Westerns when they were super popular, didn't kind of have permission to do um, uh, in this way, and so yeah, there's there's uh, an element of authenticity there that it's really cool, and yet it keeps a lot of the the you know what makes westerns westerns, um, and so you know it's yeah. not like it becomes a different genre of movie; it just becomes a real uh, expanded version of that genre. So um, so yeah, so yeah. I think without Unforgiven, we we would not get movies like 310 to Yuma, the remake of it, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that you needed this movie to to finally open the gates of saying, you can do a real Western. You don't have to do the hyper-heroic right. Tombstone or Man With No Name trilogy or any of the uh, True Grits or anything like that. You can do a real Western. Yeah. And this yeah. is the movie that did it. Absolutely. Uh, all right, so that was your number two. So we were on to our yeah. number ones. Alice, what do you have at number one? I think all our number ones can be deducted uh, logically at this point, um, except for maybe yep. mine. Yes, but, uh, so but, yeah. this is where I have... No, we know yours. Yeah, this no, is where yeah, I... you know mine as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this is where I have Million Dollar Baby. So this is... I mean, we all love a good boxer movie. I know I do. I, if it's done well, I really enjoy a boxer movie. I don't know why. Um, but it's, you know, there's something about the visceral nature of the fights and then the prep and montaging. And But this just brings something extra to that, um, something that hadn't been seen before, and not just because it focused on a female boxer, but there was 
the relationships at play in this movie are something really special. And I mean, there's a reason it won like all the Oscars um, when it came out, but it is just so, I, I say, I've said this a couple times now, but there's a quiet powerfulness to the roles that really compels you and and really compelled me at least. And, you know, especially all the way through, I mean, we, we can say slight spoilers, right? This movie's sure. been out for like sure. a long time. Yeah. yeah. You know, the way it ends is just, it's so tragic. And the whole way, I feel like it's really going against where you've been conditioned up until, you know, with cinema where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, she'll pull through, you know, something will happen. And especially with boxing movies where it's like, they'll never fight again. And then they get up and it's all fine. <laughs> Rocky. Yeah. And, you know, like it's, it, that's just what you expect. And it's like, oh yeah, she, I mean, she, she broke her neck, but she's fine. Like that could be fixed. <laughs> <laughs> like, But then that you're watching it and you're just like, where she hits oh, that stool. It is. Oh, I, I, the first time I watched it, like I knew it was coming because it had already been out for a bit by that point. Cause so I knew what was going to happen, but I was still like, mm. oh, you know, I, I felt that like I had to hold mm. on to my neck a little bit. And then the, you know, lead up and you're like, oh, she might pull through. She'll move a finger or something, you know, it'll be a moment. And it's like, I, even though I knew what was going to happen, I still hoped. And then it's just, it's so sad. And it didn't you know, want to be that movie. About, it didn't want to and it's just and you got to give it credit for that because it could have been it could have given people the easy way out and still been a really great movie maybe she doesn't make it to boxing but she lives but this is like no she didn't want to this is her choice he knew that this is not what she would have wanted and it is the hardest choice and it's really about like trying to really um, fight between morals and ethics. Like there's a lot of themes at play here that I love it when movies get into this stuff where it's like, what would you do? I mean, we've talked about it before, but it's like, what would you do in this situation? And yeah, it's just, it's so powerful. It's so great. It's so much better than it, sh- it could have been, than it should have been, you know, like it could have just been a boxing movie, but it was more about humans and ethics and morals and doing what you believe that person is no matter whether you think it's right whether other people think it's right and respecting the wishes you know and it's like all the way going back to even though someone might have themselves listed as a dnr it's like you still have to sometimes make that choice you still have to make the unplugging choice or you know in this case the 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 killing choice and it's just like Oh, anyway, it's just, as you can tell, like it really affected me because it was one of the first movies of this kind that I watched. And yeah, it's just excellent. If you haven't seen this, you really, really need to. And it, the performances yeah. are amazing. The movie's powerful. It's definitely one that hasn't just been like, you know, fit, thought to be amazing because of the the clout behind it or the awards behind it. Like it's actually a great movie. Um, yeah. So yeah. Aaron, was this on your list anywhere? I or? I don't like this movie, um, so no. I'll let you guys talk about it. <laughs> this this is you're a, allowed to be wrong. It's fine. No, I am. I'm allowed <laughs> to be wrong every once in a while, and I think I probably am on this one. I um I need to revisit it. Let's let's just say that I, mm-hmm. I I legit hated this movie the first time I saw it. Like, it just was like I didn't like what it was saying. I didn't like where it went. Um, and I think when there's that amount of passion, I owe it a revisit because it may have been doing something right for me to hate it that much. So, um, and especially as our, our viewing eyes change, um, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, I owe this one a revisit in fairness, but yes, currently my only memory is really not liking this movie. So yeah. Mm. Anyhow. Yeah. But Andrew, tell us why it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I think that actually Alice hit every nail yeah. right on the yeah. head. Um, this is very much Hillary Swank's movie. We need to get that right out front. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. whenever you have Morgan Freeman and Clint Eastwood and you're you're acting alongside them and you are outclassing them and outboxing them in every shape or form of mm-hmm. the word. Um, yeah, there is nothing about her performance that isn't just perfection. Um, the rise and fall is tragic and the reason why you buy into that, in, that pain is because you, from the beginning of this movie, you want nothing but for this person to get their next chance because you have been indoctrinated from every boxing movie you have ever seen in your life. That this person who is starting from the bottom is going to make it to the top and they are going to, you know, see the, 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 gra- the green grass on the other side. And that's... That's not this movie. Mm-mm. And that is what makes it that much more painful. Yeah. Yeah. Where did you I have it on it. your I list, Andrew? I think I had it at number three. So number three and a number one. Yeah, Very number nice. three. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, all right. On to my number one, which we know is Gran Torino. Um, I think yep. Andrew had this on his list as uh, well. Number four. At number four. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I owe this one a revisit too, but... Um, I remember being blown away by this movie and, my <laughs> and this is the movie. I think this, this movie is what cry macho thought it was like, like what it wanted yeah. to be. And this movie Very actually much. succeeds in that progression and in that journey. And there real, there really is like a mentorship and a mutual learning that this movie in a compelling way uh, shows you and yeah so everything that didn't work about cry macho i think works in this movie and so um so yeah i would recommend if you haven't seen this watching this instead of cry macho this weekend um, oh yeah yes uh content warning uh if you're easily yes. offended <laughs> oh my gosh clay switch does not hold back on the racism in this movie. no 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 he is absolutely racist in this and the uh the character is not sanded down uh, in that way no. so yeah so trigger warnings for uh, racial words uh, you know racial conversation ra- i should say racist yeah. words racist conversations uh, all that is present here for mm-hmm. sure yeah it's played off as light-hearted and it's one of those things where you're like you laugh because you're like i can't believe he's saying all this stuff right like to the people like right in front of you know like like against overwhelming numbers he is not holding back but at the same time like they're like like Aaron said, there is a love that blossoms between him and uh, Tao in this movie, and I think uh, I th- I said earlier whenever we were doing the Cry Macho uh, uh, review that I think that this movie suffers from the exact same thing that uh, Cry Macho does, and that is whenever you pat whenever you cast authentically among people, you know you're not actually getting the best actors and. I hate saying that because he was a very young guy whenever Tao was like cast. Mm-hmm. I think he was like 14 or 15 or something like that, but he's not good, but he's, he's acting against a Clint Eastwood who is so amazing that I, I think a lot of people m- might even consider this to be like one of Clint Eastwood's best performances ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Clint Eastwood for, I know this came out in like 2003, 2002, something like that. Maybe 2006, I can't remember. But whenever it came out, 
Clint Eastwood was like in his late seventies, early eighties. You know, he was just a young not kid. just a young lad, <laughs> but he was being you know rough and tumble. But he wasn't doing anything in the movie that would make you go, "Oh, come on, Clint!" Like you're not beating. He's not beating up hordes of people in this movie. You know, he he's letting I guess you could say muzzles do the talking for him. You know, and like any old guy could do that. You know, you know, any, any old guy can pull the trigger on a gun. And I think that the character arc that cry macho wanted to have, but didn't have is beautifully executed in Gran Torino. Seeing where uh, Clint Eastwood is from the beginning of this movie and where he ends up, mm-hmm. uh, is just, uh, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. All right, Andrew, yeah. it's time. Time to talk about the good, the bad and the ugly. <laughs> I had it at number two. You had it at number one. Yeah. I love this movie. Yeah. Okay. well i will talk because i i have recently used it for my buried treasure because i saw it just recently and so i've said uh, a lot of this as well um but yeah i I, there are large sections of this movie where i wasn't necessarily completely invested but by the time you get to the graveyard like it is astonishing the work that is going on in this movie the 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 cuts and the tension it builds I mean, it is just a master class in building tension mm. with uh, camera cuts. Um, so, yeah, this is, if for no other reason this movie is great, uh, it, that, you know, that standoff is just, it's more than iconic. You know what I mean? It's it's just, yeah. it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's transcendent. Best. It's transcendent. It really is. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like I haven't seen that the movie, but I've seen that scene because I guarantee you it was in my film class, like my film studies class. It's going to be in every other person's film uh, course. You have yeah. get made to watch that scene in full and then talk about it for an entire class. And mm-hmm. even yeah. with zero context at that point, um, except for a festival of dollars. It was still like you're still sitting there, like oh my gosh, oh my gosh, who's gonna who's gonna die? Who's gonna die? Like <laughs> yeah. you know, it's so the music. You want to talk about his score? In your like, yeah. yeah. What a score! What a thing to have scored! You know, yeah. like yeah. Sure. Uh, definitely. This yeah. the song where Tuco is running through the graveyard is called "Ecstasy of Gold," and uh, I <laughs> think Metallica covers it. You know, like uh, a lot, but. Uh, it's like one of those where he's like looking at the graves, you know, and it's like it, the music just continues to build with this woman singing and the trumpets. And you're like, Oh my gosh, like you are, you get up in the excitement with him. Uh, I've said this before a thousand times. Whenever I talk about this movie, I love the fact that this movie has, you know, it's, it's all about greed and uh, you know, these three guys who want this money and uh, each of them knows a, uh, one little secret of where it's buried, but they need each other to get there. Yeah, and at the so it's all about the greed, but at the same time, you have this truly tragic, emotional background telling of the American Civil War, and for me, that's where the movie hits the hardest. Like, yeah, you 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 can't believe that these guys can see all this evil. I think one of my favorite lines in the movie is Clint Eastwood when he's looking at this battlefield, like taking on taking place on a bridge and he says, never have I seen so many men wasted so badly. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, Oh yeah. Cause you're like, yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't believe it. And that captain that they run into uh, the drunk captain, like I was just a great side character. 
Yeah. And like them doing that last favor for him. Yep. Yeah. It's it's fine. It's a fine movie. It's all right. It's okay. It's, <laughs> you know, maybe high side of okay. Uh, maybe high side of okay. All right. Uh, that brings us to the buried treasure for the week. Um, before we get into that, I want to say, I meant to say this at the, the top, but I just wanted to thank uh, you for listening to Sif Pop. Um, I don't often... Yeah. I don't often do this, but I did notice last month was our biggest download month ever uh, in the history Ooh. of Sif Pop. Um, over 14,000 downloads last month uh, of the podcast, total downloads. Um, wow. Thank you for that. And uh, that put us over 200,000 downloads total. Um, uh, That's amazing. And, uh, and so yeah, cool. and we just... just just thank you. Just thanks. Thanks for continuing to listen to the show. Like seriously, and telling your friends about it. Like that's really, really cool. So I meant to mention that up top. I'll mention it now before we head into buried treasure. Um, just because I want you to know how much we appreciate you. Just downloading the show every week. That's pretty amazing stuff. So, uh, all right, uh, Alice, you are the guest, so you get to go last. Uh, Andrew, you're going to kick us off. What is your buried treasure this week? Are you kicking into the uh, like Andrew list of shame uh, list? Nice. Yep. Uh, and fitting. Because today I have seen the sun or the earth travel around the sun 35 times. That's right. Happy birthday. So, yeah. Happy birthday. Thank you. So, uh, going all the way back to 1986, uh, this is where I'm going to kick off uh, my list of shame. And I'm going to start off with one of my favorite directors. Uh, it's one of his movies I hadn't seen Hayao Miyazaki and his movie Castle in the Sky. Oh, okay. Oh, I watched that the other day. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I really am interested in hearing your opinion on this, too. I I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I really, really did. It's interesting because whenever I think of Hayao Miyazaki, I guess I'm thinking in his latter part of his career, like Spirited Away and Howl's mm -hmm. Moving Castle, where there is a extreme, or even Ponyo, there's an extreme level of absurdity and fantasy. And like, yeah fantasy uh this one seems far more grounded and accessible to children like it reminds me a lot of like his earlier work like my neighbor totoro and stuff like that uh but this one is just a happy like well happy is a strong word uh, it, it's it's much more of a a, a calm and peaceful viewing of a movie uh i i like the the art style is fine fine it's very dated obviously but the characters are so lovable and the story arc is simple enough yet intriguing enough to where you you're curious about this this uh this floating castle uh latu lanuda or latuna i can't remember the name of the mm. the castle that flies but uh yeah it's like oh yeah and then there's there's this kind of steampunkish futuristic mm. you know world that they live in it's it's a great watch i highly enjoyed it so if you like miyazaki movies and you haven't seen this one i would really recommend it. i had a lot of fun with it yeah it's good stuff good mm. stuff um i'm going to take us to television uh Ooh. i watched the first three episodes of why the last man uh on uh hulu Ooh. And this is a famous graphic novel, is my understanding, and has actually been in several types of development over the years, movie scripts, TV ideas, just trying to figure out how to do this. And so here we go. Hulu has presented this. 
this is one of those con high concept things that's either going to grab you or you're not going to be interested in it. The high concept in Why the Last Man is that there is some sort of traumatic uh, disease event something that kills every existing man with a Y chromosome. Um, so uh, that is every existing man except one. Um, and that is the last man. Uh, and also his pet monkey, uh, who is also male, is the only male animal to survive whatever is happening. Oh. Um, as, again, I'm speaking from just the, uh, you know, the very first, first bit of this story. So I don't know sure, where this goes. Yeah. Um, you know, there's uh, a lot of last man on earth kind of idea here, except this is the dramatic version, not the comedy version. Um, but mm. there is really interesting stuff being done here, uh, with, um, you know, gender dynamics, you know, what does it mean? What a society, a society of, of all like. women looks like, especially a society of all wo uh, women in such a traumatic, tragic event. Um, you know, it's. It de it deals with the kind of what if elements of this to make a call back to one of our other reviews today. Like there is kind of a real willingness to go there and go, what if this really happened and what would it really look like? And um, I'm re really enjoying it after three episodes. There's also some really beautiful things, uh, you know, talking about the transgendered community and the idea that there would still be men in this universe, but they wouldn't have the Y chromosome. And so all of a sudden their life is so different because, you know, they're dealing with their testosterone treatments, you know, those kind of things are disappearing and they're trying to figure out what it means, you know, for them and their gender. And also because they are uh, male appearing, um, uh, the people are questioning, you know, why didn't you die? And so, you know, there's, so there's this all of a sudden they're having, you know, conversations about an issue that they thought was closed in their life where they were just men now. Um, and but now all of a sudden it's all in question again. And so I just the show is really, really willing to go there. And I, I appreciate it. And the mystery is wonderful. It's handling the mystery so well where it's like you, you want to know what's going on. It's, you know, kind of really breadcrumbing it well for you and allowing you to invest in these characters uh, as you figure out the mystery. So I'm having a really good time with Why the Last Man. Very excited to see where it goes. I believe it is a uh, limited series and we'll see um, where it goes beyond that. So. Yeah. Is does this take place like immediately after uh, all the men die off, or is there like a grace period or so? This a grace is, period, but you know, no. It's another one of the things I really like about it is it gets right into it. Um, the very first episode is a little bit of in media res, uh, where like you start in the future and then go back, like that everything is doing now. Like every movie and TV show is like, mm, sure, you know, a a scene and then. Six months earlier, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. you know, there is a way to tell a story at the beginning. Like, I get that we like this, but, um, but it has, it Tarantino for your nonlinear storytelling. So, but this does have a little, like, there is a little scene that is, I think something, you know, like a few weeks into it that starts it with, and then it goes back to the day before. So you get the day before you get the day it happened. And then it goes on from there, and it kind of jumps in time enough that that scene we saw at the beginning is already in the past within the first three episodes. So, you know, everything mm. is now forward by the end of three episodes. Um, but it, it it does jump ahead. Like, 
And I kind of like that because it's not like I need to see every day, but I want to see the crucial parts. That's one of the things I, sure. I really came to hate about uh, the uh, well, not the Walking Dead because that was never the point of the Walking Dead. But fear the Walking Dead. Fear the Walking Dead. I thought the point was we are going to learn about the beginnings of you know this apocalypse, and it, it was, was one episode. it was not interested mm-hmm. in that at all. And so this at least really gives us the grounding of what has happened how they're recovering, what they're doing. And yeah, it's not jumping five years ahead within the first, you know, three episodes. So, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're living in it. You're experiencing it uh, at least within the first three. I'm original. so relieved to hear you say that as a buried treasure because I've had this on my list for ages since mm-hmm. it got announced. And then the it came out and the reviews were very, like, very mixed. Yeah. And I was just... I was like, oh, do I really want to go in? Like, is it going to be worth it? Especially because you know what else they're doing a lot of now? Pandemic type things. Yeah. So like Sweet <laughs> yeah. Tooth just came out a few week, a few months ago. Yeah. And now this is coming out. And so I was like, do I want to dive in? But th- all right, I'm going to keep it on my list. I'm actually going to get to it this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. You know, I mean, you know, <laughs> results may vary, but uh, but I'm I'm really enjoying <laughs> the I for me, if you're going to be high concept, you have to deliver on that concept. And I think this is delivering yeah. on the concept. And that's a big deal to me. And okay, we'll, we'll cover a lot of, you know, things that, that I may not like. So, yeah, there you go. Why nice. the last man? All right, Alice, what do you got? What's your big treasure? Well, it's very interesting because I'm also going back to 1986 oh. and Ooh. I am recommending the movie Labyrinth. So oh, this yes. movie has such a special place in my heart. So much so literally because my partner's name is Toby and he was named after this movie. Oh. Uh, so Toby's Toby's a little brother in in the movie, the one that mm-hmm. uh, Sarah or Jennifer Connelly has to save. And um, yeah, and but on the other side of that, my mum is a huge David Bowie fan um, and actually like she like met him because she used to DJ in Italy and stuff. And so he came to one of her sets once and they met. And so she's had this huge like thing. And so I grew up on David Bowie. And so it was like it obviously Labyrinth played a big part of my growing up. And I think it's the perfect movie to watch as a child that it traumatizes you just enough just enough so that you can develop a little <laughs> bit in your personality. Um, uh, but it's just, I really recommend if people haven't seen it in a long time or maybe not at all, like it's Jim Henson doing his best. I mean, do like it's also, it didn't do the best box office wise, but I think it's definitely like blown up in terms of a cult success since then. Absolutely. Um, but you've got David Bowie in one of the most perfect roles for that man. Yes, it's a bit creepy that he's playing like a 30-something man preying on a 15-year-old girl, but it's fine. It's fantasy. We'll move on from that. And you've got Jennifer Connelly in one of her earliest roles, and you've got such fantastic puppet work. It's so cool. And the reason I bring it up is because Weta Workshop has recently just come out with the ability to pre-order minis that they're making of three of the characters, mm. um, one of Sarah, one of Jareth, um, and one of Ludo. And my partner immediately like bought them and we were going to get them in the second quarter of 2022. That's how <laughs> Weta works. But um, <laughs> it's just, it, it reignited and I bought the Blu-ray for the um, 4K Blu-ray that is the 30th anniversary and I'm really excited to watch it again, um, you know, remastered. And it's just, it's so much fun. It's a fun fantasy story and you know i don't think i have to tell you guys it's for some reason it's hard sometimes to make a really fun fantasy movie especially a standalone fantasy story because Mm -hmm. it's easy to make trilogies out of it this is just contained it's 
you know, it's very like, I would say similar to Princess Bride in that it's very like above reality in the fantasy world, but it also kind of takes place in the real world. And it's, yeah, the music's great. The cast is great. The story's great. And it's just a roaring good time. I really recommend checking it out if you haven't in a long time or haven't at all. Nice. Jim Hansen had that magical ability to Mm. elevate fantasy, childlike wonder movies and make them accessible, not only to children, but to everybody. Like I think with a lot of his movies, even his Muppet movies that as an adult, you can go back and you turn into a kid when you watch. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm up at Christmas Carol is the greatest adaptation of a Christmas Carol ever. It is. It is. It is my favorite Christmas movie. It absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny you mentioned you have a friend who's named after this movie. Aaron, we had a one of my friends on early, early, early in Sip Pop named Jareth. He was named after this oh, movie too. Cool. So, yeah, a lot of people there love this go. movie, man. There a lot go. of people love yeah. this movie. Well, that is. I will need to clarify. It, it's my partner, because otherwise he's going to be like, "I'm not just your friend." Yeah, it's my partner. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, yeah. and friend. You know, hopefully, yeah. and, and friend. friend. Yes, and friend. And friend. <laughs> uh, that is Labyrinth, which has the rarity, I guess, of being both available on Netflix and HBO Max. Uh, either one, you can check it out yeah. there. Um, the Last Man. Yeah. Why the Last Man is on Hulu. And Castle in the Sky, like uh, all of Miyazaki stuff, is available on HBO Max. We did it, guys. We did a podcast. Congratulations to us. Um, I am so proud of the podcast we've accomplished. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just sad the podcast audience. I'm just sad the podcast audience doesn't get to see your squinty face uh, when you do that. Uh, Thank you so much. No, actually, funny enough, you know how who did a really good uh, Clint Eastwood impression. Norm McDonald. Norm McDonald. Yeah, yeah. He had a really good <laughs> Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. Sif Pop is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to Andrew for hanging out again today. Thank you, buddy. Uh, big thanks to producer Phil for producing the audio and video show. Thanks, uh, thanks to Drew for doing the visuals that go along with the video show. And what a man. Thank what a man, you what a man. to uh, Allison. Allison, it is so good. <laughs> Alice Ginevra, hanging out with us again today. Thank you so Not much. Allison. No, I know. I was, that was Not a, a problem, A.A. Ron. There you go. See, hey. I knew we'd get there. Uh, I just like calling back my own <laughs> mistakes. Uh, anyhow, thank you. And where would you like people to uh, go check your stuff out? Yeah, so uh, as always on Letterboxd and Instagram, I am Ali G. Mick. Uh, I'm also a writer for SifPop.com. So most recently, I have come up with my column of the month, which is the recommendations or one-stop pop. And this month, it was Free Guy. So lots of uh, video game or like fourth wall breaking type recommendations there. So check it out if that interests you or if you liked Free Guy. Um, And then, uh, as I always say, going through the MCU, with my friends but um and so you can find that at at once.upon.a.marathon on instagram and we've actually hit 
Ant-Man and the Wasp. And so we'll be taking a break for the MCU now until we can see. We're going to watch Infinity War and Endgame on all at once. So we skipped ahead to Captain Marvel and Ant-Man and the Wasp. And then we've kept the big ones because we want to watch that together in person um, for my friend's first experience. So for now, we will be going back to our original uh, score of going back to the Disney movies of the 60s. And our next movie is going to be The Callaways, which all, from what I understand is about geese or something. I don't know. It's going to be weird. Check it out. <laughs> well, we appreciate you being here, and uh, it's always good to have you on the show. And uh, peace and comfort to you as you continue to be in lockdown uh, in Australia. Oh, so, yes. yeah, I know that's no fun. Still haven't seen Shang-Chi, uh, and I know you're no. dying to. So <laughs> I'll just I tell you. So <laughs> don't. The, no, the no, last Aaron, scene Aaron, where you should tell her, Aaron, <laughs> should tell her how amazing Shang-Chi is. Just tell her everything. Oh, oh no, oh, oh no. Uh, do a play by play. Much love and gratitude <laughs> to our uh, members of Sif Pop as well. Sif Pop members are at patreon.com slash Sif Pop. Support starts at three bucks a month. You get every uh, bonus episode at a certain level, as well as some other fun perks, depending on what level you sign up at. You can find out all the information, and thank you for even just clicking over there and looking at patreon.com slash Sifpop. Uh, if you want to connect with us, feel free to uh, drop us a comment wherever you listen or email us at feedback at sifpop.com. You can also help us by uh, rating and reviewing the podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. That's a big help. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like the show too, so make sure you let them know about it. And that listening is much easier than winning a fist fight in your 90s. Uh, we will be back next week with Dear Evan Hansen and The Guilty, I think is what we'll be reviewing next week. So we'll mm. see you then. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.